Now, I want you to think back. I don't know, this last week, I don't think we have to go too far back, maybe the last two weeks. And I want you to think about the last time you said something along the lines of, man, I just cannot believe they did that. Or maybe, how in the world do people actually think that way? Or like, in what right mind could anyone come to that conclusion? I don't know, maybe this is like this morning. I don't know if we have to even go back all the way. Anyone have moments like that throughout their weeks, their days? I would guess that most of them happen like this. What in the world? How do they, ah, multiple times a day. This week, our leadership team was talking about anxieties and values. Now, this might be something you're familiar with, but all of us carry anxieties in our life. I know oftentimes we can think about anxiety as a thing that I need to go to counsel for because I have stress and I have worry and I have fear. But that is an aspect of anxieties. We can see anxieties as acute anxieties and chronic anxieties. Acute anxieties are the ones that a building catches fire and we react. We run towards, we run away, but something happens where our mind has kicked in seven seconds, seven seconds ahead of us even being able to think. And now we're in action before we even knew it. Anxiety can be a good thing. It can be a helpful thing. And then there's another kind of anxiety, a chronic anxiety. You could picture it as below some of these streets, there is water traveling through them. And most, we don't see the water. We do not know of the sewer water that is underneath the streets, but it is there constantly. And we all have these chronic anxieties from our life. From the day we were born until now, we have experiences. From those experiences, we have drawn meanings. And from those meanings, we have said, I will never or I will always to oftentimes live in a form of protection. And when unchecked, these chronic anxieties can drive us. They can also work seven seconds ahead of us actually even realizing that we've made a decision. And they have now risen our anxiety mostly within relationships. And now I start to show up in different ways. Some of those ways can look like conflict. Some of those ways can look like over-functioning where I need to take control of this and that and them. Some of it's under-functioning where I can't even take responsibility for my own self and my own emotions. Some of it's triangling. I need to rope some other people into this and I need to misplace my anxieties on them because, you know, that'll help. Also, there's distance where I, just, I am going to back away from the situation and I will just keep the peace, as they say. Now, a big part of this is that the values and anxieties piece is a conversation about identity. See, we, we all have identities. This morning, you showed up in a certain way. You knew that you were coming to church, and at some point you made a decision of what you were going to wear. You kind of maybe pre-played the conversations you were going to have. But you chose, in a way, how you show up in this space this morning. Or maybe think back to work this week. You may have shown up a little bit differently than you did this morning. Or the family dinner last Tuesday. You showed up a little bit differently in that space than you did to work. Right? All of these are identity conversations, and identity is something that is formed over years. It is formed through patterns and rhythms and the stories of our life that have come together, and a couple things happen with identity. One is that we need to recognize differences. 
right? So when I look at someone else, I can see the difference inside or on them from myself, which then sets us apart, and now I have a unique identity. I am this race or ethnicity. I vote or think or have this worldview. I am from this part of town. I own this or I have that. People see me as this way or that way. And this can be a beautiful thing because we all have been created unique. We all have stories that are unique. And this is wonderful. And this is a part of individualism, something that America tends to celebrate and offer as really a lot of what America has going for itself. That you can be your own self. You can be self-made. I'm not going to get into why I think a lot of that is untrue in a lot of forms. But there is a beauty in individuality individualism. I am myself. I am of myself. I can express myself. And I love it because I can look at all of you and I can see the individual aspects of you and what makes you unique and what is special about you and what is good about you, what's beautiful about you. And then things, that saying of like, can there be too much of a good thing starts to play in a little bit. And sociologists would call this hyper-individualism. And what starts to happen is instead of looking at those differences for me to identify with who I am and the uniqueness that I have, I now start to use those differences to distance from other people. I start looking at those differences to say that, yes, they are different from me, and for that reason, they are wrong. I start to use those differences to say that the worldview that they have is incorrect because it's not my worldview. The way in which they vote, the way in which they choose to go about their day, the way in which everything that they are. Hyper-individualism. And this is only increasing in our over-connected world. This little thing right here, again, is decision after decision after decision of how I am different, how I'm trying to find my unique identity, but then again, how everyone is different from me and why they are bad. And we cycle through this real constantly, over and over and over again. And it's within our normal lives. It's within our workplace, it's within our relationships, it's within our weekends and the things that we want to do for fun, but it's also in the things that we searched out to find who we are. To answer the great question of, who am I? And I think this is a good thing. But there can be too much of a good thing. And today we're going to start a theme out of the book of Ephesians called more. In all of these spaces, I can go on to 23andMe, I can take my Enneagram, I can find out my Myers-Briggs, I can look look more about my my ethnicity and who I've come from. I I can continue to work through all the different ways that that make me up over and over and over. But is that it? Is that the extent of who I am? Is that all that I am called to be is just to find out more about myself? Or is there more to the story of who I am? And that's what we're going to pick up today in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And a little bit of what's going on here, we're going back a couple thousand years. We're going to uh, a, a writer named Paul who is writing to a number of Christians at that time that were in this city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was like the, one of the first metropolitan areas This was a city of ballpark 200,000 people, which would make it one of the largest of its time. They had market and and trade coming in because they had access to the sea and all the different trade routes coming through. So this brought a massive amount of diversity in all forms. You have 
Paul writing to this small group of people, and we'll get into that in a second, but then you have so much else going on. You have the Roman population. You have other people who are worshiping other gods. A couple of things. I think we have a picture of uh, the Rose Bowl down in Southern Cal. No, that's not the Rose Bowl. This, this is massive, though. Like, these little tiny things down here are like full-size human beings. And this is one of their amphitheaters. This is where they would do a bunch of things. This is where, I think, Paul got in a fight with a bunch of people. Uh, Ironsmiths. Like, I don't know. If you want to get in a fight with anybody, like, don't get in a fight with Ironsmiths, by the way. Um, but this, I mean, this is just a small represent. I was thinking through pictures. To like, this is a massive place. They had a lot going on. I know it's so easy to think 2,000 years ago like they were still living inside these caves, right? Like this is a pretty big deal. Um, Another thing was all the other gods that they were worshiping, this next image shows uh, a building that was designated towards uh, for Artemis. And this was actually torn down a couple times, rebuilt, doesn't stand anymore. But like that's, that's a pretty big deal. Like, it, to look at these images and think, how in the world do they build these things, you know, 2,000 years ago, right? But this is just a couple images, like, there's a lot going on in this city. And what we're seeing is, over time, is people were moving out of what they knew, their people, their own tribes, their own families, and were coming into these metropolitan, metropolitan areas, and they were massively in just chaos. Like, the politics of the time, Uh, the powers of the time, the oppression of the time. You go on and on and on. And people were coming together, and as they all came from their own tribes and nations and tongues, they had their identities. And now they're getting mashed up with a bunch of people who have different identities. And it led to chaos. And this is the place in which Paul is writing to a number of the Christians spread out in this area. And he says this, picking up off of talking about how we are saved through the grace of God. We are saved through the work of Jesus. And he says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. It's funny to think about. They just identify. Anyways, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This little paragraph, not only does, is there chaos and identity clashes and things going on within the community, but this is also happening within the church, within the people of God. As you had, uh, you had Jewish people who were the people of God, who were those of Israel, who had been God's chosen people for thousands of years now. And then you have this Gentile group, these people who are outsiders, these people who were not Jewish by their lineage and by their ethnicity. And all of a sudden, this guy Paul comes along and he's writing to people to remind them that like, hey, it's not just because of your Jewish heritage that you are a person of God. You Gentiles outside of this are also people of God. But remember, Gentiles, you who are not Jewish, there are also things to be a person of God that you are being called to. Though it's not all the things that the Jewish people were. I mean, like, you just go back and forth. Could you imagine the fighting going on? Because those who identify as Jewish had been holding to these things for so long that this means we are religious people. This means that we are living the right life. This means that we have a relationship with God. The way that you interact with culture, the way that you vote, the way that you handle family situations, the way that you operate in your business. I mean, everything that you do, there were laws for things. Now, all of a sudden, in the Jewish eye, you have a bunch of heathens. 
people from outside the people of God who are now starting to participate in the church. And Paul's writing for a purpose. There would not have just been this natural integration with each other. And I don't know all of your stories, but I'm guessing that 99.9% of us in this room are not of Jewish heritage. So in so many ways, Paul is writing to you and I. So I'd be curious out of this, as there's so many ways he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles, and there are ways in which they have both identified in their lives. There are ways that they have identified in their cultures, but there are also ways in which they have identified in their relationship with God, what it means to be religious, what it means to be spiritual. And I'm curious in the ways that you've associated these things. How has your life story led for you to see your identity? What are the things in your life that have shaped the way you view yourself? Which oftentimes comes from maybe a more pointed question, how do you differentiate yourself from other people? Be curious if you look at other people who are a different socioeconomic status than you whether wealthy or poor? How do you set yourself apart from them? You align with maybe a political party of some sort. How do you differentiate yourself from those who are of a different political party? Do I go into the mass and vaccine thing? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) You get the point. And in that, if we play out this narrative of hyper-individualism, man, these are some beautiful things. There are some beautiful things of Jewish culture and heritage and lineage. There are some beautiful things of Gentile culture and heritage and lineage. But as you start to walk these out in your own rhythm of life, do you actually, even in this room, Like, if we were all to sit here and write our stories and where we're at and what we do, I mean, I thought about, like, listing mine out. (laughs) Anyways, with that, do you celebrate those things in other people? Or have they become things at which has caused conflict between others? Where you've actually distanced yourselves to say, I am making them in a two-dimensional person because they have voted that way, because they posted this way, because they responded this way, because they drive that car, they live on that side of town. I mean, go on and on and on. How are you currently identifying yourself? And again, that more pointed question, who are you using to identify yourself? Because you can't have identity without setting apart your identity from others. But we have a choice to learn about ourselves, the individual wirings of ourselves, our individual stories, in a way that says, I'm understanding myself while I'm also understanding others. In a way that says, I'm not doing this to dismantle and ruin and f- like, like actually fight with other people, but I'm doing it in a way to actually live into the grace that God has invited us into, as Paul talks about here. He continues in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups of one and has destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, people who are completely different from each other. 
By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. When's the last time you ever thought about something like that when you were thinking through people that are different than you? Like, when was the starting point that God could be up to more in our world, that God could be up to something so much different where I can actually be in the same space of people different than me? And maybe even going further one step to say, how can I actually participate in being with other people who are different than me? Because that's what God is up to. Like, when, I, 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 this is a question for myself. Like, how much is that my starting point? It's not. So often, I mean, the, the differences and the things that we identify ourselves with what comes to mind, and then I just go down this path of why we're different, and how we're different, and how that's wrong, and why they're bad, and why I'm good. It just goes on and on and on. Paul is rewriting the narrative in which we see other people, especially those who are different than us. Yes, in all forms, every single way. So a number of years ago when I was uh, playing in New York for a year, Caitlin came out a couple times, and one of the times we went to Niagara Falls. Um, uh, how long ago is that? That would have been 2011. Call it 10 years. Young kids. Some like small little cheap pixelated camera. Like our phones do so much better than that now. It's crazy. Uh, but this is Niagara Falls. Who's been to Niagara Falls? few of us? Okay, good. So you've seen it. The immensity of Niagara Falls, like when you're there, it's like this picture and any of the pictures I'm going to show just do not do justice for the amount of water that is pouring over these edges and like how small it makes you feel. But in like a good way. It's weird. Other things make you feel small and that's not a good thing. This one is a good thing. So what we see here, like we're out on this looking out point. You're on this viewpoint and there's two major falls that make up Niagara Falls. You have uh, the American Falls here on this side and then you have Horseshoe Falls going on back here. And what's, let's go to the next picture. Um, this one will help a little bit. So hair's coming in from the other side. So you have this stream of water pouring in, and you have this stream of water pouring in. This is like the lookout area that we took that picture from. So as you look across, it's hard to see the distinctions that there's actually different falls going on. And if we could run this out a little bit, if we look at this stream of water coming in, and we look at this stream of water coming in, I'd like for us to imagine who's on the other side for you. Like, if, if, if this is your story, if this is your life, if this is the experiences you've had, if this is everything you know and have had happen in your life about your identity, what does it look like to have people on the other side? Like, who in your mind is just polar opposite? To where there's this gap in which you can't actually see their life you have no idea about the experiences that have led them to this. You have no idea about their early formations in childhood. You have no idea about their parents. and their, I mean, there's so many things that go into our identities, but oftentimes we kind of end up just seeing this piece where like people are like coming together in ways. And then this is like where the conflict happens, right? Because you come together and all of a sudden these differences show up in like this one little bubble in the water and like our little bubble in the water and then those clash and it's just chaos. So if we're both here on these side, on these sides, Who's on the other side for you? 
Like, who, who are the people you just have a really hard time with? Or maybe even the person. Like, you could just be right here, like, nudging the person next to you. Don't do that. Um, but who? In your mind, who is it? Who do you have a hard time with? Who can you not stand because they think this way? Who do you not believe how they ever did this thing? Who is it? We live our lives day in and day out, making decisions around our identity because we want to show up in certain ways in the way that we know how to because of our story, because of the stream that we have come down. Other people have chosen to build their identity in certain ways because of the stream that they have come down. If we go to this next slide, this picture here, much more beautiful, by the way, this here is, again, from that viewpoint. And at this moment, we see these two coming together in this stream. And if we were to use this as an analogy for the church, you've come down a different stream, you've come down a different stream, you've come down a different like, And like we're all sitting together in this space. And what God is up to is this. God is up to whether Jew or Gentile, whether Republican or Democrat, whether white or black. I mean, just keep going and going and going. And God is doing this. And he is tearing down the walls that don't lead to this, which we have plenty of walls. Here in America, we have plenty of systemic walls. In our own selves, we have walls. And if he is doing this, the challenging thing is that from this viewpoint, all we see is this side and that side. We see one way and a different way. We see my way and someone else's way. But what Paul is calling us to is actually changing the angle in which we see things. He's calling us to change the perspective in which we not only see our own selves, our own identities, but in the ways that we see other people's identities. So this next slide will show us, not many people know this, but there is a third fall. Within those two massive, there is this one right here called Bridal Veil Falls. But from the other angle, you only see two. And what Paul is doing is saying that Jesus has entered into your life. He has entered into others' lives. He is doing a work of reconciliation. He is actually buying you back in the name of peace and in the name of grace and the name of reconciliation to actually come to each other. But unless we actually change our perspective to see what Jesus is up to in and around our lives and in and around the lives of others, we will not see him working. We will not see that he is actually running alongside both of us. That at one point, go to the next slide, Jesus and us actually came from the same source of water. And what happens, though, is we don't see this oftentimes in other people's lives. We don't see everything that happened here of why we have differences. Again, we only see this. Paul is drawing us out. And in so many ways, the work that God is up to in all of our lives is redeeming where we started. We are, he is redeeming the work that he did in the, original, in the beginning to actually create us in his own image. Every single person sitting next to you created for a purpose, for a sake of identity, for meaning, for love, for more. I mean, you go on and on and on. 
But unless we actually change the perspectives in which we see other people, in which we see ourselves, we so quickly forget that we originated from the same source. And then we so quickly forget that Jesus is running down the middle of it here and he is working to then bring us together. We are not alone in just trying to make up all the differences that we have, trying to find some way of uniformity together. Jesus is actually inviting us to a life where he participates in bringing one another together to redeem us in the way that we were originally created for. That's the best imagery I could imagine for the words that can cause so much confusion here. But as you sit here this morning, you have someone in mind who you cannot believe such and such. You cannot wrap your head around such and such. And what's happening is our values are being confronted. Because in these two stories, we have created values out of our identities. And when someone comes up to us with another set of values, and they have crossed a value that maybe we have, we then respond anxiously in ways that do not reconcile relationships. And oftentimes, it says much more about us than it does about them. One of the pictures we had... um, yeah, I'll go there. One of, the, one of the, the pictures we had for Midtown as we were just dreaming and praying and uh, working through this is that if we imagine Tower District, so being a church that says we want to be in and for and with Tower, we are a bunch of people from all over the city that want to outwork compassion and mercy and justice in this space. We want to be transformed by the coming together in this space. If you look at Tower District and you look at Old Fig and you look at Downtown, Part of what we saw is actually Tower serving as like this bridge between the two. You can imagine downtown and Old Fig. You can imagine the socioeconomic gaps. You can imagine the race and ethnicity gaps. You can imagine the political gaps. You can imagine the lifestyle gaps. I mean, you go on and on and on. And a part of it was that Tower can be this place that both sides and in the middle can experience more. That when we actually get into a room with people that are different than us, when we actually get into a room with people that challenge us and and pick at things inside of us that they don't even tend to do, but we just do it so naturally. These are the spaces that actually transform us. And this is Paul's vision of a church. That's saying the barriers that once were there for you to actually worship, the barriers for you to actually be a people together as, as, a, as a church, as a people loved by God. Jesus has removed those barriers and has invited you to more. So what I want to do is I want to move into a space of you just reflecting. And I'm going, to, I'm going to guide this time. But that question earlier of how has this ever been your starting point? Like, like is this ever your starting point? Where when you see differences in others, you think, man, I wonder how they got there. I wonder what their story is. I wonder what God's up to in their life. I wonder what I can learn from them. I don't, I don't know. You just go on and on and on. Like, I want us to give us time to reflect on that for a minute. Because I don't know, if you're anything like me, I don't know how oftentimes that happens in your life. So do me a favor. You can close your eyes. And bring to mind that person or that people group. 
the ones or the one that you have a hard time with, the one that you see completely different than, the one that you are pretty quick to want to fight with, the ones that you want to control or change or do everything possible just to get them to see it the right way. And now with them in mind, I'm going to read Paul's words. And I just want you to be open to what you hear from God in this moment. And could there be something that God is asking you to do? Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief chief cornerstone. In him, The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Keeping your eyes closed for another moment. Just reflecting on if anything in particular stood out to you. How does this change the way in which you see those who are different from you? And what may Jesus be asking you to do from here? To participate in the work of reconciliation. Why don't we go ahead and stand? We'll have the uh, the ministry team come or the, the prayer team come forward. <clears throat> and I just want to end with this: a couple things. Um, these identities, the values, and the anxieties which we can live from them, when our values are not met by others, and the systems in which we've created are right from wrong. Uh, yeah, you guys can come forward. Um, a couple things. One. Knowing what God is up to in our world, knowing what God is up to in our lives, and knowing what God is up to in the lives of others, can you turn to curiosity? 
can you first ask a question of why is this confronting me? Why am I dismayed by their behavior or their actions or their thought process, whatever it is? Can we turn to curiosity? Because curiosity would actually give space to conversation. In the work of peace and reconciliation, um, you guys can get going, we're good. Um, I'm almost done. Um, this is, happens at the table. It happens first and foremost at this table of communion. To actually be reminded of the work of Jesus in our lives and what he's called us to. The peace and the unity that he has paid for. Can we be curious? Can we be people of wonder? Because those are the things that lead to conversation. And second, I was talking with Lindsay Mariano before a gathering, and she's been making these bows, uh, little very cute hair bows. Um, and she said, this is a way for me to bless other people. I can realize in this time how easy it is to be frustrated with others and be mad at others and want to change others. But this is a way in which I can extend a blessing and it feeds my soul. It actually reduces anger and frustration. Because what happens is when people challenge our values and we respond anxiously, we make people two-dimensional. They are now just that other value and that's it. And what happens is when we can turn to curiosity and we can actually turn to blessing, we can restore the three-dimensional aspects of pe people and we can actually see them in their full humanity. The world right now is fueled by conflict. It is so much easier to get you to disagree with and want to change and fight with other people. And there's a lot of people that benefit from that. But you know who doesn't? You. You will never benefit by continuing to go down the road of just confronting values. But what you can benefit from is curiosity. You can benefit from blessing. And in that, I believe other people will benefit from that too. So let's read this prayer together and then we're gonna enter into one last song. Um, we have a couple people here. We have Kathy and Wesley here for prayer. Whatever has stood up to you, stood out to you in this time, just go ask for prayer. Whatever the challenge or the conflict is between you and others, whatever the thing that's sitting inside of you that is just heavy right now, go ask for prayer. If you're in a space of needing any emotional or physical or relational healing, go ask for prayer. So we'll end with this. And if we can say this together, this is the, the peace prayer of St. Francis. We'll read together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.